0: Let's open in a word of prayer. Lord, you know our weaknesses. You know the help we need. You know there are people here today who need you. Come and help us, Lord. We ask it in your name, amen. So, uh, can I get the PowerPoint up? Do I need to click something? or uh, I'll let you guys handle it. Thank you. As we said, we're talking about lust today. And there's a deep need uh, here in the church, not just this church, but across the nation, across the world for this topic today. Jesus knew what he was talking about when he started off the Sermon on the Mount addressing anger and lust. What are the problems that we complain about, that our world complains about so often today? It's sex and violence. That's what you get at with anger and lust uh, right at the outset with this sermon. And I don't know that I heard in in my lifetime growing up, I I think I rarely heard anybody preach on lust. Now maybe I just wasn't listening or was asleep or something, but uh, all I can remember is one maybe study that was done at uh, my church when I was a kid. But besides that, uh, I don't really remember us talking much about lust. And I think that's because it's awkward to talk about in church. Just, I, I'm not sure where that comes from. Maybe it's from Victorian-era values where certain things are considered prudential and you don't, you don't say certain things in public, and that's, that's now in the church. But you, do you know, and, and, and also we, we sometimes, well, we don't want the kids to hear that, and we don't want to say anything about sex and lust around, around kids. Let me tell you something. Do you know where our kids and others are going to hear about this stuff if not in the church? What's that? Television's one place. I was going to say everywhere else. <laughs> including television, school, friends, teachers sometimes, the Internet. Oh, my goodness, the Internet that kids are getting on now. Their friends, I mean, this stuff's everywhere. You can almost hear Satan laughing when he comes up with this scheme with his demonic cohort saying, hey, I've got it. (laughs) Let's bombard their world with sex. Let's show it to them everywhere. And let's make them think they can't talk about it at church. Let's make them think Christians are not supposed to say anything about it together because it's too weird. That's a great way to keep us confused, isn't it? So we're going to talk openly about these things. We're not going to be explicit. We're not going to be graphic. We're not going to do things that will be hurtful to people. But we're going to talk about the issue. The Bible does not share our hesitancy here. Scriptures are not afraid of this topic. And so we don't have to be afraid of it either. However, many of us have grown up this way where you just don't talk about it. I'm going to tell you a quick story. I've just got to tell this, um, even though I'm trying to keep things short. When I was a kid, it was a no-no to talk about these things. And I didn't even, I literally did not know about things. So I was in fifth grade, and somebody came to our school and did a sex education talk. Now I was at a Christian school. And I went into this classroom, and... They opened my eyes. And I was like, oh. Uh, they were explaining what, what happens. I didn't know any of this stuff. And, and, but I was used to, as a Christian, being different than the other Christians. All right? I was used to saying, those Christians don't go far enough. We do. Right? So I remember after that class, I was walking down the hall with one of my good friends, smartest kid in the grade, brilliant kid, and we were walking to the class. I said, you know, or from the class, we were walking to the water fountain. And I remember saying to him, you know, we believe that sex. Oh, but I'm sorry, I need to tell you something else. They, they emphasized at this Christian school that sex was only for the married. You know, good good for them. That's what they should have said. It's only for people after they get married. But I walked down the hall with my friend and I said, you know, we believe that sex is wrong after marriage too. Yeah. <laughs> My friend said, how do you think you got here? (laughs) (laughs) With God, all things are possible, you know. (laughs) So I had to ask some questions after that. And I learned that that was one place where my faith was not different from other Christians' faith. Um, We were not against it after marriage. My brother Brad said he wanted to tell that story at my wedding rehearsal supper so bad. But he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it with my grandma present. (laughs) Fortunately, she's about 95 now and she doesn't know how to use the internet, so I think I'm safe telling it here with you. So, we don't want to be ignorant. We don't want to be hiding our head in the sand and and acting like we can't talk about something that, that everybody is seeing in other contexts as well. Like I said, not graphically or explicitly, but openly addressing the issue, just as the scriptures as the scriptures do. Let me tell you something. God is not ashamed of sex. He's not hiding his eyes or cringing. Oh, they're talking about that. God created sex. And it's a good thing. And we're never going to understand the scriptural teaching about it as long as we act like God's the guy who has a big problem with it. And he doesn't really like us having it, but if we have to, okay. No, God God has given sex as a gift to the, to the world. And, and, and it's not a problem. It's not a shameful thing. And I realize even now some of you are uncomfortable and awkward because we're talking about it. And it's not, that's just the way things are. I don't blame you for that. But uh, we want to get more on God's page and more on the Bible's page with this than with our, our cultural tradition here with, with the church. And we can understand that, that maybe, just maybe, God has something to say about it that we need to hear. Now let me just say briefly what we're up against here. I've already touched on this. We're up against, when we talk about this as a church, when we're trying to raise our kids in this, we're trying to be sexually pure ourselves. We're up against a torrential force in our world today. We live in a sex-crazed society. And like I said, it's all around us. Our movies are filled with it. You hear the term sex sells. You ever heard that, sex sells? It sells automobiles on our commercials. It sells cheeseburgers. I mean, what are we doing now? You might just stop and ask, why is that? I mean, people aren't using cheeseburgers to sell sex. It's the opposite. It's because sex is this transcendent thing, this great desire, the desire above other desires. And our world is now reinforcing that. It's, it's in a way, it's a crazy thing. Our world is normalizing it outside of the church. It's normalizing conversations about it. It's normal. I mean, I watched years ago, Betty White, <clears throat> the actress, Betty White turned 90, I think. And I watched her, uh, her birthday party, part of her birthday party. It was so sexualized about this 90 year old woman. That's the kind of stuff we're seeing all around us. And here's the irony, too, because now, and rightfully so, there's a great reaction against sexual harassment in our world, the Me Too movement and all that. This is wonderful. It should be there. But the irony is nobody's coming against our sex-crazed society. You understand? We're still saying plaster it all over the billboards, put it all over the Internet, put it all over the TVs, put it all over the movies, but... Let's take a hard stand against sexual harassment. And we should. But what it basically is saying is you can have unredeemed thoughts, unredeemed feelings. But you have to have redeemed behavior. And that's legalism. Now now you need to control behavior too. Please don't misunderstand me. But what this approach leads to is not solving the problem. It may stop some people from it. But what it's going to do for a lot of people is drive them further into hiding. And make them more clever with their strategies of denial. Make them more clever legally how to get around the consequences of it. Because we are accepting the unredeemed thoughts. We're accepting that people can live without redeeming their hearts and minds. And that actually that won't make any difference to behavior. And that's what we're up against in our world today. Where it's so normalized. So widely accepted. And uh, we say as the people of Jesus, that's not, that's not us. Jesus has a different way. What we need is heart transformation. We need the transformation of our minds so that our thoughts are actually different. This is the only thing that's going to work for us, having different thoughts and having different feelings. That's heart transformation. And I want you to know that is what the gospel of Jesus Christ holds out to every person here. Not just stuffing your desires and learning to deal with it. Changing them. And becoming a different person on the inside. Don't believe the false secular gospel. That somehow your life is not good if you aren't fulfilling your lustful appetites. Somehow you're incomplete without the fulfillment of all your desires. The primary one being sex. So let's look just for a minute... At this uh, this teaching in Matthew Matthew five, I don't need my Bible. Got it up here. You have heard that it was said, "You shall not commit adultery." Let me just stop right there and say, adultery is stupid. Adultery wrecks lives. It's always been recognized as wrong, at least in the Judeo-Christian tradition. Even when it's been frequently practiced. Now, I want to say this to you. I recognize that, that some of you in here have been the perpetrators or the victims of adultery, and I want you to know there's healing and forgiveness, too. I'm not trying to berate you or beat you over the head with this. Um, these are sins that God will forgive, but they're sins, and uh, you can be totally hold, whole and restored in Christ, even after having done this. But let's not act like it's not stupid. People mess up their lives so bad. I think about Proverbs chapter 6 that says, can a man, he's talking about adultery or or sexual temptation, he says, can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? That's what you're doing when you mess around with adultery. You're carrying fire and you will be burned. Mark it down. But understand that Jesus doesn't stop just with adultery. Because you can see a lot of people who would say, Oh yeah, I didn't do that. I'd never do that. Only the bad people do that. Jesus takes it further and says, But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent, there's a good translation here, with lustful intent, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It's not just adultery, but it's the heart condition of lust that Jesus comes against. Just like when somebody says, I've never murdered, Jesus takes it back and says, What heart condition leads to murder? That's a problem. It's anger. Adultery is a problem. What heart condition leads to adultery? It's lust. Now let me, let me make some qualifications because bad translations here, many bad translations have done harm to us and, and leave us feeling like there's a totally unrealistic teaching here. And that is, this is not just talking about, the, the word lust really just means strong desire. And, and Jesus is not telling us sexual desire is bad. He's not saying that just because you feel sexual desire that you find someone attractive that somehow something's wrong or bad in you, all right? That's not it. Even even being tempted, to a certain extent, is not wrong. So so that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about, this is the Greek text has this. We don't always see it in our English translations. We're talking about looking with lustful intent, or the term I like, cultivating lust. How do you cultivate a garden? You plant it, and you water it. You may Give it the stuff that, I don't know about gardens, what do, you, what do you give to the garden? Anyway, you know, you cultivate it, you, you take your time, and you, that's what Jesus is getting at. People, people who are looking at someone and taking them in and saying, I want that, I'm going to desire that, I'm embracing that desire, I'm looking for ways now to, to recreate that desire. I'm taking it home with me. I'm maybe arranging circumstances where I see a person or where I do something with a person. I know that gives me this thought or this feeling or this visual that I take with me. I am cultivating this lust. That's what Jesus is getting at. Now, we need to be careful even with the momentary things. But the momentary things are not sin in passing. Saying someone, seeing a a beautiful person, and the focus is on men here. Women can lust too. Men are a little bit more visually oriented. But it's it's not wrong for me to say, oh, that's a beautiful woman. Olivia does that. A lot of times we're watching, watching TV and he'll be like, that lady, that's a beautiful lady. And actually I have something that I say whenever she says that. You want to know what it is? Here, here's what I say when, when Olivia says that's a beautiful woman. <laughs> that's what I say. And it works. It, I found it be very effective. That, that's what I say. But it's not wrong if I were to agree I don't, but it wouldn't be wrong if I agreed. Okay, yeah, that's a beautiful one. That's not lust. But now if I capture that picture in my mind and try to hold on to it and try to create desire in myself, then I'm entering into that territory. And here's the thing we want to keep in mind with the whole Sermon on the Mount. It's clear in the context. What we're after is heart transformation, and that transformation is replacing all these bad things with love for others. That's why we don't just try to get rid of anger. We try to love our neighbors and our enemies. We seek their good. The same thing's true when it comes to lust. What I'm after is a heart of love. Don't just try to stop lusting without beginning to love. You see, what I do with adultery, you see, if I commit adultery, I give my body, I give my mind, I give my heart to someone who is not my spouse. What I do with lust is I begin to give my heart, my thoughts, my feelings to someone who is not my spouse. And the first reason I don't do that as a married person is that I love my wife. And I don't mean I always feel loving towards her. Right? I don't mean that, that Olivia and I always find each other attractive. We don't think of ourselves as, as the most attractive people, the supermodels or anything like that, especially not the older we get. <laughs> really, I mean, I look at pictures of myself now and I think, my life has been harder than I realized. <laughs> I didn't know it, but it's been hard. So, it's not going to get any better, right? It's not going to get any better as I age. And if I buy society's stupid narrative, I'm sorry if you tell your kids not to say stupid. It's okay about it's okay about these things. Don't call any people stupid. All right, if I buy the ignorant messages that are out there in society, I'm going to expect us to keep looking great and, and, and having all the, all the glamour and glitz to our, our romantic life, or else I'm going to feel disappointed, and I'm going to be angry, and I'm going to fantasize, and I'm going to be dissatisfied. And all that is so ignorant, and it's destroying marriages. What we need to realize is that love, Christ-given, Christ-centered love, is where real life is. And you can have that even when you're old. Even when you don't look awesome, you can have that kind of love. Don't buy what people are selling. What we're dealing with here with lust is intentional looking and cultivating lust. Okay, I need to close up and I want to hand this off to to Jason. Let me just go to the, uh, let me say this um, before I I move to the last part. Pornography is a huge problem, but we're not just talking about pornography today. Um, but pornography is such a huge problem in our society. We could talk about statistics. Let me just say it's a lot, um, especially with men, but women are, are involved too. Uh, but it's a, it's a very high percentage of men who are struggling with pornography in our world. And whether it's pornography or it's scaled back some, lust, looking to lust, cultivating lust, is not loving to that woman. It's degrading. It's treating her or him, if, it, if it's the other sex, it's treating them as objects. And It is not the way of love. It's not the way for us to love our sisters in Christ. Men, I'm talking to men like Jesus was now. And guess what? We need relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ. But for that to happen, there has to be love present. A love that we can be like Paul told Timothy treat the younger women like sisters. You think that's possible? In our society, a lot of people think that's probably not possible. But I think that's possible in Christ. There can be real love for sisters in Christ and for brothers. Okay, last part here, and we'll have Jason come up. So here Jesus says, this extreme statement, it's not literal, okay? Just very briefly, let me tell you, he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It's better to enter into life or, or to, to, um, to lose one of your members than to have your whole body go into hell. It's a graphic extreme language here in this whole, whole text. But what he's getting at, it's not literal because I can tell you how I know it's not literal. You can still lust after you get rid of your right eye, right? So so that can't be what he means. You can still lust after you cut off your right hand. So so he's not talking about a, a literal action here. Unfortunately, some people in church history have taken it literally. And they've castrated themselves. That's not what Jesus is talking about. But what he is talking about, and please hear me on this, he's saying you can do something. Concrete action is necessary when things have gripped our hearts and distorted our desires, we can take action. And unfortunately, sometimes we've had a a misguided understanding, a misguided theology of grace that makes us think we have to be passive or else God's not doing it and we're earning our salvation. That's nonsense. You're not earning your salvation just because you're doing something. Jesus, may I say to you, Jesus believed in grace more than we do. And he's the one who told us, do something. And it may even be extreme action that's necessary. It's amazing to me how people can say they want to change and yet put so little effort into changing. And then they're like, they, they fail again. They, they're sorry and they fail again. are like, why, God, why did this happen again? Well, you did the same thing you've always done. Jesus said, cut off your hand. Take the necessary actions that you need to take to change let me tell you what that might look like it might look like getting rid of your computer don't start making all the excuses in your mind about why you have to have your computer first (laughs) it might look like changing your phone to a different phone one that doesn't have access to the internet maybe You can still get a cause. It may look like changing your job if you're finding yourself in a situation that's provoking lust. Maybe it would mean moving. And you're saying, oh, come on, Luke, are you serious? Are you serious? About changing this problem? It may mean you don't go to the beach on vacation. Know yourself. I'm not saying it's a rule, you can't go to the beach, but, but know yourself. You say, well, I don't, like, I don't like cold weather places for vacation. I'm sorry. <laughs> Learn to like the cold weather places. If that's a problem for you. Take the action that's necessary. And and don't just take the action, though. Please understand, this again, this all can be turned into rule-oriented behavior modification, behavioral control type things. What you need before that is a vision of life in the kingdom, that God will grant you grace, and you can be a glowing person of love and concern for others who's not shamed and carrying around a burden, a, a weight of guilt, All the time, because of the lust that haunts you, you can be lit on fire for Jesus in the kingdom. And it will be grace. It will be his life flowing in you. That vision, that vision that says, the treasure is buried in the field, and I'm going to go sell all and buy it. That's what we're talking about for the joy that is ours, for the life that the gospel brings to us, because Jesus Christ has died for our sins, and he invites us now into his world, into his life. I don't want to say anything today that shames you, that makes you feel like you're less than. This is one of the, the major problems with owning this problem and dealing with this is that people feel so shamed by it. Listen, as Tony prayed today, we're all broken and sinners. Sinners in the image of God, but still we're broken. And, and I do not look on you with shame or, or, or in order to shame you. I, don't look at you, you. I do not look at you as a shameful person because this is your struggle. But I do say to you, you can change. And there's a life held out to you that's better than the one you've accepted. I really want to encourage you that if you've been hiding this problem, you confess it. It could be public confession that's needed. But at least confess this to someone that you trust. That's a first step. If you're not willing to confess it, you're probably not willing to change All right. All right, now I'm going to invite Jason to come on up. Let me, let me just say to you that uh, I really appreciate what Jason's doing right now. It's not an easy thing. And I've been here for about a year now, and I would tell you about Jason and Victoria, from my understanding of these guys, uh, they're part of the backbone of this church here. And... Uh, It's uh, a godly thing that he's doing right now. So Jason, uh, please share with us openly, and I'll come back up and just make a concluding
1: remark after you're done. Oh yeah, my story began, I'm going to read because I I could tell you, but I don't want to skip over anything. My story begins all the way back in middle school, A good friend that I had known since preschool surprised me at school one day with a magazine, and you know what kind. He had taken it from his father's collection. He said I could have it. I snuck it home and hid it away. Now I was raised in a loving Christian family who were at church every time the doors were open. I knew this was very inappropriate, but being at a coming-of-age time in my life and unprepared, I didn't turn it down. Other times, I went to his house, and we would rifle through boxes and boxes of magazines. He would let me take some home, and I was already addicted and now accruing my own collection. From time to time, I would come to my senses and get rid of them. At one time, I even burned all that I had, but I would eventually get my hands on more and fall back into old ways. On one occasion, my parents discovered my secret stash. I got a good talking to, but to be honest, I couldn't tell you one word that was said. A few years later, this passing fad called the internet began sweeping the globe. My father brought home a cow print box, if you remember those, and after a whole bunch of screeching and beeping, we were soon plugged into the world wide web. Since I was a latchkey kid, I had copious of hours to peruse every dark corner of the web. I no longer had to wait for pornography to find its way to me. I was able to find it whenever I wanted. This new, albeit slow, source for illicit material even more solidified my habit. I did my best to cover my tracks, but my search history was still found out. This led to another awkward conversation with some computer restrictions. A few years after that, I was off to college with nearly zero restrictions or accountability. I roomed with another friend, my best friend at the time, whom I had known since middle school. He was a good Christian guy, but we still didn't discuss church stuff much. During college, I surrounded myself with a good set of believing friends from different faiths and backgrounds. They were not perfect, but I could have done much worse. On a handful of occasions, we found ourselves under the guise of celebrating or blowing off steam at strip clubs. I still had my conscience screaming at me, but my lust, lustful habit always drowned it out. I remember... Thinking at one point, I wish I had someone that I could go confess all my mistakes to, even something similar to those of the Catholic faith had. The truth is, I had plenty of someone's, and if I had confessed it, then this testimony may have been a lot shorter, but it's not. We're only halfway through the second page. Although, all through college, I continued to attend church regularly, even most week, midweek services. Ever since I was little, I was ingrained with the truth that sex and marriage was sacred, but at least what I was doing wasn't as bad as actual fornication. That was one of the lies, I believed to downplay the severity of my own sin. Toward the end of my collegiate career, I met the love of my life, Victoria. She was kind, humble, and beautiful, the complete package. After graduation, I moved to Dallas to be nearer to her and was staying in a spare room in her parents' house. After a month or two, I was able to find the perfect job for me in the area, and soon after that, we were engaged to be married. Not long after that, we picked out a cute little starter home. Everything was falling into place. All through the years, I had convinced myself that once I was married, then all my desires would be met and I wouldn't need those graphic images anymore. And finally, that day had come. Life was now perfect. I had an amazing wife. I was self-sustaining with a good job and no longer leeching off mine nor her parents. We were connected to a great church. We had a cozy little 3-2 and did I mention a Corvette in the garage? But that pull, the allure, never quite went away. Getting married wasn't the fix. I was still addicted. Four years later, we hit another milestone. She was pregnant. I was determined in my mind that I had to quit this terrible habit, and this child would be the motivation to do it. We were blessed with a baby boy. Life couldn't get any better than this, but it could get worse. I distinctly remember telling myself that I had to stop if I'm going to tell my son to stay away from this stuff. However, being uh, motivated to be an example for my child still wasn't enough for me. I was trying my hardest to fight back my demons, but I wasn't strong enough. So instead, I continued to cover my web browsing tracks as best I could. And as you and I now know, I'm not that good at it. My wife, my soulmate, my best friend soon soon found out the secret that I've been keeping from her. I begged her not to leave me. I begged her not to take my son away from me. And I am forever grateful for her patience. And needless to say, <clears throat> needless to say, if one son wasn't enough, two more weren't enough, either. As I mentioned earlier, we were connected to a great church, and people's lives were being changed all around me. I heard testimonies from honest hearts, and people were opening up. And a new program even began uh, called Celebrate Recovery. We attended a few of the inaugural meetings as a show of support, but that's all it was, a show. We were too busy to go through the program. We had three young children to feed and put to bed, and so we soon stopped going. I would muster up a few months of sobriety, only to come crashing back down, and at other times I wouldn't even try to resist. We eventually put restrictions on our whole computers and my cell phone. Jesus did say, if your right hand caused you to sin, cut it off. But as any addict knows, there's always a way around. I probably spent around $500 on different electronic devices from time to time to get my fix. But as always, I would come to my senses, a.k.a. the fear of getting caught, and we'd trash them. This alone was not the answer either. And so the cycle continued. And then one day, out of the blue, a brother from church called and asked if I would be his prayer partner. I, st- still attempting to be a Christian, said yes. He opened up to me directly. He confessed all the things that he was struggling with and asked me to pray for him. I'm not sure who he thought I was to be praying for him. I, mean, I sure knew who I wasn't. I followed his lead and eventually confessed my struggles with him. This did appease my conscience, but again, this alone wasn't the cure either. I still had my r- relapses in this sin. My wife will tell you, as she told me, she'd much rather be told about these issues than have to discover them for herself. I wish it was that easy for me, but my pride just wouldn't let me do that. She finally confronted me and said, you need to get help. I will probably never forget that tearfully constructed sentence. The collateral damage to her and our relationship was taking its toll. I listened. I started tending CR again. Perhaps CR could fix me. I joined a step study, and the journey began. It wasn't easy, but I had a great pair of leaders who were gracious yet prying. They didn't let me just skim the top, but asked thought-provoking questions. Our group made trudging up painful memories bearable. I was dedicated to attend each and every meeting and work each step. I will admit, at first, I was performing the steps just to check the box to say that I did but slowly I opened myself up to the healing that Jesus provides. My prayer life, which was formerly non-existent, was completely transformed. My view of the Bible changed from a head knowledge needed to prove a point to an earnest longing for truth behind each scripture. As each of these increased, my desire for pornography decreased. The best way that I can explain my experience is from the story when Jesus met the Samaritan woman at the well— the woman whom Jesus recounted everything that she had done ran and told the others in town. They believed her and followed her to Jesus. But only when they finally met him, they said to her, and I quote, It is no longer because, we, uh, because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. I've been to church nearly all my life, I had heard all the stories about Jesus. It wasn't until I met him face to face and experienced his healing in my own life that I truly believe that he is the savior of the world. Amen. At one time, I thought that I could will myself out of it or insulate myself well enough or even to shed the guilt, then I would be free. The truth is that each of those may stop the behavior for a while but my heart was still carried off as a captive to Babylon. There wasn't any one thing that I could do. It wasn't until I surrendered my everything that Jesus set me free. My eyes were open to some of the lies I'd once believed, that I wasn't hurting anyone else, that this was only a little problem, that I didn't have to wait or even work towards a truly satisfying relationship. And just so you know, CR didn't fix me, My sponsor didn't, not my accountability partners, not my family. The precedence of God did through the cleansing blood of Jesus, along with the guidance of the Holy Spirit. But don't get me wrong, I am grateful for the CR program, and to quote the Ethiopian eunuch, how can I understand unless someone guides me? I am eternally grateful for my amazing wife, for my prayer partner, Michael, and all the guys from the step study. This has, been, this has not been a perfect journey by any means. I've messed up some along the way, but I am thankful to God, my Father, who is patient and full of grace. He has not given up on me. If this is str- something that you struggle with, you are not alone, and I encourage you to reach out to me or someone else that you trust, and we'd be more than happy to see you on Thursday nights at CR. Thank you.
0: Let me just invite you... If you so desire right now to to vocally say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Lord. Jesus is in the healing business. If you didn't gather that from reading the Gospels, uh, he's in that business and he's still doing it. And I wanted Jason to share his testimony uh, so that you could see concretely one example of that healing power. And I want you to know that if you're here and you feel like you're in a situation you can't get out of, you can. There is hope for you. You're not filthy, you're not nasty, you're not despised or rejected in Christ. And you can come, and you can receive help, and you can receive healing. Let's pray, and then we'll ask the praise team to come up. Lord of heaven and earth, maker of the human body and of the human mind, we owe everything to you. And we come before your throne right now under the cross of Jesus Christ living in light of his resurrection that has shaken our world and we ask you today to move among us, Lord. People are here right now who need you, Lord. Grab hold of the hearts that are here, Lord. Forgive all the sins. Sow a seed of hope inside. Remove shame that is from our enemy. And pronounce to these hearts that Satan will not be victorious over them. And in your power, draw people to you today, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.